free citizen's rule book. There's a copy, one per family, please, on the table. And the, not only does this have the Constitution and the, and the uh, Declaration of Independence, but it's got a lot of stuff here about the jury system, which I never knew, which, frankly, is not being taught in schools. And, frankly, judges in courtrooms either, either don't know this or they're deliberately deceptive when they charge the jury and tell them your job is to take the evidence and determine whether the, the uh, accused is guilty of what he's charged with. If so, you must convict. And sometimes they'll tell you your job is not to, not to determine about the law. That's not true. If a juror, if you've got 12 jurors and one of the jurors feels that the law was unjust, he has the right to say it's an unjust law, I, uh, I, I vote for non-conviction. And, uh, and a jury, you don't realize the power that one juror has. Uh, now, of course, we find a lot of corrupt juries, too, that are bought out. But William Penn, because of three jurors who were spit upon, urinated on, they were beaten, by, and the judge condemned them, and the other jurors, because they would not convict William Penn, because of his religious beliefs, he was being persecuted. And in those days, I don't know if you know this or not, disagreeing with the Church of England was a capital offense. And those three jurors, because of their stand and their conviction, refused to convict him because it was an unjust law, and he eventually was set free. I don't know if you know this, but he died in a pauper's prison. One of the richest states in the, in the nation as far as natural resources, and the founder died in debtor's prison. But we thank the Lord for William Penn. I wish our governor, I said, well, I'm, I, I'm a former resident here. My ascending church is still here in Pennsylvania. So I consider myself, I'm a, I'm a Pennsylvanian who's right now living in exile in South Carolina as a missionary. All right. I'm a professional church hopper going from one church. to But, sir, I wish Governor Wolf would look at the paintings that, that surround the inside of the, of the uh, uh, governor's uh, reception. Have, have any of you seen that hall? Paintings all around uh, the whole hall. It's a big hall, maybe bigger than this room here. Dealing with the Bible, the burning of the Bible, the suffering of the saints uh, because of their Christian convictions. The capital of Pennsylvania has more Bible in it than a liberal American Baptist church does. There are scripture verses all over that place in both houses. If these representatives and senators would simply look at what's there, maybe they'd make better decisions. Yes, sir. Yes, I have, I have a copy of that. Yep, it took 20-some years for the calligrapher to finish the Ten Commandments and the calligraphy in the Supreme Court chamber. And guess what's there? The Ten Commandments right above the Supreme Court Chief Justice's chair. We, folks, Pennsylvania has a great heritage, probably, probably better than any other state with a possible exception of Rhode Island, which was the first Baptist state. That was started as, as a refuge for Baptists because... In the early days, pre-colonial days, there was religious persecution even worse than there is now. And now we, have, we pray for the persecuted church. Let's not forget to pray for the persecuted church in America, particularly in the West Coast and more especially in California, where they have a dictator, uh, a communist, socialist, Marxist dictator for a governor. And so we need to pray much for our brethren. I don't always agree with John MacArthur in some doctrinal areas, uh, but I'll tell you, I stand with him 100% in the battle he's going through right now. With the, uh, with, with, the, with the state. And so we need to continue to pray for them. Also, Jack Treber, 
and uh, and there's another church, I can't think of the name of it, where West Coast Baptist College is, is also under attack. All right, now, I know I did this four years ago. How many of you remember what I preached four years ago? Anybody? And, and pastor's wife doesn't even remember, but she wrote down the date of the passage that I was here and preached from. I should ask her to go up and give me the outline. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. Have I succeeded? No, you're not embarrassable. <laughs> You've lived with Gary too long. You're exempted from that. This morning, for you who are not here, we looked at a, the life of Lot in Genesis 13 and also 19 and elsewhere as we consider the subject, the steps in backsliding. And don't hear much preaching on, this, on, on the life of Lot these days because it's not politically correct to talk about homosexuality and these moral sexual sins that are taking place today. But folks, it is sin. Uh, and, and there's no two ways about it. Now, in Canada, you're not supposed to read that part of the Bible. In public, you're not supposed to talk about it. Guess what? If I'm in Canada, I'm going to preach that passage. I hope, the, I hope the premier is there so he can hear it. And if he wants to have a discussion afterwards, that's fine. So Canadians don't have religious freedom either to some extent, and we're, we're losing ours. You folks who are older uh, than these young boys, these young whippersnappers here, uh, you don't, we know, we're, this is not the country we grew up in. The land of the brave and the home of the free were not anywhere near as free as we once were. When I was in junior and senior high school, the Bible was read every morning in homeroom. Uh, the flag was saluted. I was, a, I was in elementary school with President Eisenhower with the support of the entire Senate added the phrase, recognizing God's hand in American uh, independence, added the phrase, one nation under God. By the way, it's not one nation, comma, under God. It's one nation under God. The question is, are we that nation under God anymore? You know, we turned our back on God and booted God out back in the late 19, mid-1960s. And little by little over the past decades, God has slowly been withdrawing his hand of blessing on America. And we are now reaping what we have sown. I believe that all this, all this violence in Portland and other places, you can thank public education for that. And not just on the, on the secondary level, uh, the college level, the university level, but also in the public schools, junior, senior, high school, even starting in elementary school now. They're rewriting history. The kids don't know who George Washington was. They don't know the truth about the pilgrims. They're being told now lies. Uh, when you go to Plymouth Rock, the, uh, Plymouth Plantation, they're being told lies that, that the pilgrims were abused the Indians. They most certainly did not. They hung a guy because he abused an Indian. So they'll take that one case and say, well, the pilgrims abused the Indian. He suffered for that. He paid the ultimate price for that. So I'm, I'm all for, I, I'm, folks, I'm not, a, I'm not a confederate. By no means am I a confederate sympathizer. But I think we ought to keep all these, all these statues that are part of history. I have no problem having a statue of Robert E. Lee or, or some of these other generals up where they're down south. It's part of their history. And you could say it, it didn't happen, but we know it did happen. And so we got a bunch of liberals trying to rewrite history. And if they're going to rewrite it the way they want to, I guess it's going to look like German history in 1938 and following under the Nazi regime of one of the, one of the most savage men of all time, Adolf Hitler. Although I don't know if he was as savage as we like to make him think out. Planned Parenthood has killed a lot more people than he did. And then, of course, you have Nebuchadnezzar and you have the Syrian Empire and Mao Zedong and, and all these others. Enough of that. Anyway, I want to go back to Genesis 13 and look at this passage through the eyes of Abram this time. 
Abram was called of God in chapter 12, verses 1 to 5, to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to a place that God would show him. And he went not knowing where he was going, and the Bible right away says, and Lot went with him. You find, you find that over in chapter 12, just a page back. And in verse, uh, God said, get away from thy house, thy country, thy kindred, thy father's house, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless him that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Next verse, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gathered in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. God said, leave your family. And so the first thing, I, I'm, I'm speaking here simply about three lessons of, of gentlemanly courtesy. The first thing we notice in verses 1 to 7 in chapter 13 is the conflict that occurred, primarily because of Abram's disobedience. Now, one, one study Bible, I think it was the old Schofield Bible, I'm not sure about that, uh, labeled this passage in chapter 12 as Abram's partial obedience. Based upon verse 4, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken, and that's the partial obedience, and Lot went with him. Folks, that's total disobedience. Folks, when it comes to obeying God, either we obey or we disobey. Either we are walking with God or we are not. And so the conflict we have here, we note that conflict, and we notice first of all his call, and then his compromise by taking Lot with him in, in, in direct opposition to what God had very clearly stated. Notice in verse 2, uh, his cattle. Uh, and Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And so he was a very wealthy man for his day. You look back at the life of Job, in the book of Job, he was the greatest man in the world. He would, he would have been equivalent to the Bill Gates of his day, I guess. Is Bill Gates still the richest man in the world? It kind of goes back and forth between him and some guy in India. India is one of the poorest countries in the world, but also has the second or the most rich, the richest man in the world living there as well. <clears throat> But Abram and Lot and, and, uh, and uh, Job were very wealthy men. Both of them, incidentally, were men of God. In fact, Satan tried to go to God when God said, Hey, um, I like to paraphrase this. I like to make it live in my mind like a little play going on. And God's sitting on his throne and the old devil has to report for it in, you know. It's like Satan's on parole. He's got to go to the parole officer, which is God. And God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. A complete, a mature man, a godly man, one that avoids evil. And Satan snarls back and says, yea, doth, doth Job fear God for no? You put a hedge about him. You protected him. You blessed him. Is that any wonder? But you put forth your hand and let me touch him. I'll get him to curse you to your face. And, and his parole officer said, okay, but don't touch him. By the way, those first two chapters of Job ought to be a great comfort to you as a child of God. For Satan can do nothing to you more than what God allows. And God always puts limits on him. And you think about it, the worst thing that, it can, that the world can do to a Christian is kill him. In fact, I, uh, Matt Recker's wife, I think it was Matt Recker's wife up in New York, a missionary up there, church planner, was accosted by a guy with a knife threatening to kill her. And he wanted to steal a person. He stuck a knife in her face and she said, you're threatening me with heaven? <laughs> and so shocked the guy, he took off and left her alone. Oh, well, that was a good response. You're threatening me with heaven? Take my life. I'm going home to be with the Lord. 
You could have my lousy old person, the two dollars that are in it, you know, whatever. And so Abraham was a very, very wealthy man. But we also notice in verse 5 that Lot also was a very wealthy man. And that caused the problem. Actually, the cause of the problem was Lot's presence. And all the, because he brought all the, all the stuff with him. And notice in verse 4, uh, Abraham calls on the name of the Lord here. He went unto the place between Bethel and Hai of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. There is no record anywhere that Lot ever prays or calls on the name of the Lord. Now, carnal Christians, with all due respect, folks, carnal, worldly, backslidden Christians don't pray. By the way, I have a very special prayer request for you tonight. I got a call this afternoon from my wife's sister. She, I still consider her my sister-in-law. And uh, I don't know that she, I don't believe she's saved. Uh, she and her husband came to one of my meetings about 40 years ago. And he came forward, was counseled with, but he did not accept the Lord. He now is he's dying of uh, stage four cancer of some type. I don't know what it is. And, and he's had all kinds of physical problems. You know, the chemo. Uh, he's got about six months to live. So I talked with him several weeks ago on the phone, shared the gospel with him. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I, I didn't sense any sense of conviction or whatever. So I told Sandy, I said, you need to get a Bible and read John 3, verses 16 to 18 to him again and again, several times. I thought, you read those three verses, man, it should begin to sink in. <clears throat> she called me today, or I called her to find out what kind of, she wants a Bible with, with, with a giant print. The large print Bible she has is not big enough. They both have eye problems. And so she said, you'd be proud of me. I've been reading, to, reading the Bible and praying with, with Joe, just like Barb would tell me to do. Well, yeah, well, what does that mean? I'm, I'm glad for the effort, though. And she said, Joe wants you to call him tonight, after the service tonight. He's got a lot of questions for you. She said, he asked, he asked the Lord into his heart. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not sure if he understands what that involves, what that means. And he's got a lot of questions. So pray, number one, we can find a Bible for him. We're going to look for that tomorrow. And pray for the conversation. Wouldn't it be wonderful I was able to lead him to the Lord tonight on the phone? Uh, he doesn't have long to live. He's about ready to go into eternity. And, you know, what, folks, there are many choices in life. But when it comes to eternity, there are two. Receive or reject. Be saved or remain lost. They're the only two choices. So Abram is the one who is the spiritual man and prays to the Lord. By the way, Abraham is also one of the few people in the Bible referred to as the friend of God or a friend of God. In verses 5 to 7, we have the actual conflict. And can I suggest this, folks? There's always going to be conflict when a child of God is not right with God. And Abraham was not right with God. He prays. He goes and builds an altar. He still is very sensitive to spiritual matters. But because he disobeyed God, took Lot with him, that was the cause of the conflict. And so he was in that sense out of the will of God. He was not right with God. And when you are not right with God, there's always going to be conflict in your life of one kind or another. Notice then in verses 8 to 13, the subject of Christian consideration. In verses 8 and 9, notice Abram's consideration of Lot. Now, remember in chapter 12, verse 1, Abram was told to separate from his families, from his father's house, and his kindred. That includes his nephew. Lot was his nephew. But in verses 8 and 9, Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and, the, and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, 
for me, if thou wilt take the left hand, I will go to the right, or if thou wilt go to the right, uh, I will go to the left. And so there's this, this consideration, which, by the way, Abraham was not obligated to do. Uh, he's being sort of a, what I might call a Christian gentleman here and giving the first choice to Lot. But, folks, he didn't have to do that. He was not second in command. He was first in command. He was the one that God called to leave. He was the one that God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. It wasn't Lot. Abram could have said, we're going to separate. We should have done this a long time. I never should have brought you along. So you go your own way and I'm, I, and I'm leaving here and I'm going this way. But Abraham let him take, make the choice. And we noted this morning, Lot made his choice based upon the, the senses, the sight. The, uh, the well-watered land, the fact that all the things he needed for his cattle were there. And so Lot, uh, Abraham challenges Lot, you separate from me. God told Abraham to separate from Lot. Well, whoever did it, at least the separation is finally coming to reality. In verses 10 and 11, and I, and I won't spend a lot of time here because we looked at this this morning. We have a demonstration of the carnality of Lot. Uh, in verses 10 and 11, he lifted up his eyes, behold, all the plain, it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose them all the plain of Jordan and their journey east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And so Lot's carnality is demonstrated in his choice of picking things based upon the physical, not the spiritual. We noted that this morning and the warning that was issued. Now, in, the, in verse 12, we find that Abram is dwelling in Canaan. It's where God wanted him to be, at least for the moment. Now, God, God was going to further lead him from there. And Lot dwelled in the city. And the Bible says the citizens of the city were wicked exceedingly. Um, it had been one thing if, if the Bible simply said the men of Sodom, and we know that they were immoral, wicked, and sinners before the Lord. But the Bible adds that adjective or that adverb, exceedingly. Wickedness and immorality and sin that, is, that defies the human understanding. Uh, that normal people just cannot fathom. Uh, bestiality and homosexuality and same-sex marriage and all kinds of wicked things. And you read Romans chapter 1, and God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient. In Romans chapter 1, God gave them up three times, body, soul, and spirit. And basically, the last verse of chapter 1 says, listen, God didn't do this just arbitrarily giving up on people. He, in essence, what he said was, you people want to live this way? Okay, go ahead. But there's a price to be paid. And AIDS is one of the prices paid for that ungodly living that has also infected a lot of innocent people through bad blood transfusions. I know one pastor who really had a ministry in the last months of his life because he had heart surgery and was given a blood transfusion and it was tainted with AIDS and he got AIDS. And so he had to go to treatment and sit in rooms with sodomites. And now most people would be angry with them because of you, I'm dying of AIDS. Uh, but what he did, he used it as an opportunity to witness to them and to try to, I don't know if he was able to win anybody to the Lord, but at least he used it as a, as a witnessing opportunity. He's there, he's got an audience, He's got a congregation that needs to hear the gospel, and he's a preacher. Isn't that what preachers do? And so we notice the conflict and then uh, the Christian consideration. Notice in verses 14 to the end of the chapter, Abram's consecration. Verse 14 says, And the Lord said unto Abram, 
Notice, after that Lot was separated from him. As long as Lot was with him, uh, God had led them to a certain part, and God had already said before uh, he took Lot, before uh, Abram took Lot with him, God already said, I'm going to take you to land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you. But then the Bible says Lot went with him. From that point on, there's no further word from God. Now, after Lot is separated from him, God says, okay, Abram, now that we've got that issue settled, now that you're back where I want you to be, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Um, if Abraham had followed the Lord totally, this might have been a reality even before than this. And so as vo- in verse 14, there is, the, there is the separation. And also in verses 15 to 17, there is the satisfaction. All the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. And to thy seed forever. Basically what God is doing here is giving him a deed to the land. It's a promise of a deed to the land. Uh, I, I like what. Uh, hang on. David Netanyahu. I like that guy. I don't know if you know. He went to school in Philadelphia. High school in Philadelphia. So he's a Philadelphia boy. He knows about cheesesteaks. Um, but I like what he said. He held up the Bible and said this is our deed to the land. It is, in fact. It doesn't belong to the Arabs. It doesn't belong to the Palestinians. It belongs to Israel. Now, they're not there in belief. They're there in unbelief yet. But there's coming a day when every eye shall see him, look upon him whom they pierced. Boy, that's going to be a great day. We're not going to be around to see that, though. We're going to be in glory with the Lord when that happens. Um, So the deed to the land is promised. And notice he also promises his descendants will will, will prosper uh, I will make of thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Folks, Jewish people are literally all over the world. I would guess, I cannot, I cannot document this, but my best guess would be that Israel right now is not large enough to hold all the Jews that are in the world. I probably got as many Jews in New York as, as in Israel. And God has prospered them. They're a hard-working people. I know they get, they get a lot of bad rap. They get a lot of teasing and everything. But they're, they're sharp, shrewd businessmen. They, they work hard. Uh, I, I've never, I never knew but one Jewish student in my high school who didn't, didn't become very successful as doctors and lawyers and only one. But he had some mental issues, and I think that was his problem. He became a, a streetwalker. So they're a very hard-working, industrious people. They, they prosper. When, when Hitler destroyed the Jews... He destroyed some of the best citizens that he had in this country. So God says, I'm going to bless. I'm going to give you the promise of the deed to the land. Your descendants are going to prosper. And I'm going to bless everybody that blesses you. I'm going to judge and curse everybody that curses and judges you. By the way, one day God's judgment is going to fall on America. Because every nation, including America, is going to rise up against Israel. For eight years, we had a president, Barack Obama, who was the most anti-Israel president we've ever had in our history. Um, America is not going to go unpunished for the slaughter of her unborn. Can I say this? Planned Parenthood is not, has nothing to do with planning, has nothing to do with parenthood. They are nothing more than hired killers. And then finally notice the sacrifice in verse 18. Then Abraham, Abram, sorry, removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. And again, notice he again built an altar unto the Lord. 
In verse 17, God said, uh, walk, take a walk, arise and walk through the land. And uh, the breadth of it and the length of it, I will give it unto thee. I've often wondered about, uh, let me try that again. I've often wondered about Pennsylvania and William Penn. How much of it did he actually get to see? It was a land grant. I know he did visit Philadelphia. I know he visited Upland, Pennsylvania, because there's a house there. Uh, I forget the name of the house now. And he was close friends with that guy. And he only visited Pennsylvania twice, by the way, in his entire life. I don't think he had any idea what he really had been given in that land grant. But we are grateful for it. But anyway, God says, take a walk to the land. And then notice his walk in verse 18. He removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of memory. And his worship there, again, he built an altar unto the Lord. Now, there are times in Abram's life when he failed God again. When his faith turned to fear. He went down to Egypt and, and there are a couple times where he lied about Sarah, his wife. And she was a little bit younger. I think she was 10 years younger than him. And, but she must, have been, she must have held her age beautifully. Because he was older and, and uh, they, he said, she's my sister because he thought the king's going to want to take her and, and kill me to get my wife and all that kind of stuff. And those things happened in those days. But Abram always winds up coming back to the Lord. And finally you have that ultimate sacrifice in Genesis 22 where God called Abraham to offer his only son Isaac, his only legitimate son Isaac. And of course Isaac is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abraham, by the way, at that point doesn't argue with God. He's, he's gone through some rough times in his life, starting here. And uh, when he comes to that point in Genesis 22, he simply saddles his ass. He gets two servants and Isaac, the wood and the knife. And off they go to the mount that God said, I'm going to show you where to go. Many believe it to be Mount Moriah where the, where the Dome of the Rock now sits. That's not much of a mountain, but I've been there. and I didn't actually get to go to Temple Mount because they said it was 150 steps up and 150 steps down. They walked over five miles that day. And I'd only had my knee surgery done two months before, so I thought they said it's going to be too much walking for you. So I just stayed in that day. But wherever it was, and they're walking along, and Isaac looks to his dad and says, Hey, Dad, you forgot something. What's that, son? You forgot the sacrifice. You got everything but the sacrifice. Abraham's, what, about 115 years old at that time? Senile? No. Dementia? No. Forgetful? No. He said, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. God, he didn't say God himself will provide a sacrifice. He said God will provide himself a sacrifice. That's exactly what he did. Jesus Christ is God, a very God, and he became, in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, became the sacrifice for our sin. Is that not incredible? Thank the Lord for Abraham's faithfulness and the testimony that he led. What a contrast between the life of Abraham and the life of Lot. Now again, the Bible says these things are written for our admonition, for our a counsel upon whom the ends of the world have come, that we might not follow uh, the life of Lot. There are all kinds of red lights and caution lights, a lot of green lights around Abraham. This is the way, walking in it. Now, we've done the easy part tonight. You've listened. You've heard. Now comes the hard part, to become a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Father, thank you for our time together in special music and these great hymns of the faith that we can enjoy, the testimonies musically of of some of the greatest men of the 20th century. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And, and we think of Fanny Crosby, Lord, blind as an infant, and yet how greatly she was used in writing some 5,000 poems, many of which have been set to music today. Lord, I pray that we would determine by your grace and for your glory and the power of the Spirit of God that we will not 
emulate the life of Lot and those like him. But Father, we would seek to follow in Abraham's steps and and, uh, follow the green lights. This is the way, walk ye in it. That we might enjoy the blessing of God as Abraham did. When Abraham strayed, he fell on the judgment of God. When we stray, so do we. Help us by your grace to be what you want us to be. And for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.